All right, let's, uh, let's pray first. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that there is freedom in Christ. God, that there, there was made a way through Jesus, through his death and resurrection, and made available to all, God, who would receive freely the gift of salvation. We thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit that you've given us to dwell in us, to teach us, to guide us, comfort us, encourage us. And we thank you for your word which the Holy Spirit brings to life in our lives. And we pray this morning, Lord, as we look into your word, you speak to us and speak life. God, meet each one of us wherever it is we're at today, whatever it is we're dealing with, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Before I actually go into the message, I just want to lay a couple thoughts out there for you. When you you study or read or listen to anybody, uh, whether it's on the TV or radio, tapes, CDs, or me, or someone else, especially when you get to the book of James, I want to say there, you know, there needs to be some foundational things that we start with and look at and remember whenever we go and then and start studying. Okay, because the book of James has been a little controversial throughout history, as I mentioned. Some of what he says is a little bold. Uh, as was mentioned to me a couple times uh, this week, that you know, when they were first looking at the book of James, he was considered maybe a little bit legalistic. So I'm going to give you a couple thoughts first and say these things you need to always keep in mind and really no matter what you're doing, what you're studying, or who you're listening to, okay? First and foremost is simply this. Salvation is by grace through faith, not by works lest any man should boast. In other words, there is nothing you can do about it to get saved at all, period. Jesus did all the work on the cross through his death and resurrection, and then offers that free gift to us. So I guess if you're really one of those people who has to perform and you want to make this something that you did, I guess you have to receive the gift. That's it. Okay, so we started that. That's the first place on the playing field. That's the foundation. Second thing is this. God is good. God is good. Always. God is good. The enemy will try to tweak that in your head. I guarantee it. So we need to remember salvation is by grace through faith and God is good. And then we also need to remember this. Trials are going to come to everyone. Period. They are going to come. Trials that are tests that we really focused on last week from God to create perseverance, to build a maturity in our life, they're going to come. But we also have a devil out there and some of those trials are in the form of temptations and they're going to come. God does not shelter us from temptation. Okay? They're going to come. But the victory over temptation is provided for us if we access it. So God is good. Salvation is by grace. Trials and tribulations will come. And I want you to get this established because when you go into the book of James, this can be a little confusing. Works will follow those who truly believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And when I say truly believe, I mean with our head, yes, but more importantly, with our heart. Belief that brings action where we rely on Christ, the Holy Spirit. So when you're looking at this, that that these things are going to come, works should follow. When the Bible says you'll know people by their fruit, guess what? That means works. If you don't like the word works, use fruit, I guess. That makes you feel better. But none of those works cause you to get saved. 
None of them. And matter of fact, you don't even get more saved with good works. All right? So with that, keep those things in mind, not just for today, but every day when you open the Bible and start there. And if you see something in the Bible at first glance or you first read it or you hear somebody say something and it doesn't line up with those things, dig deeper. Dig deeper. It has to line up with those things. Has to. So when you're reading something and you just go, gee, James, I remember reading over here, Paul wrote this and James, you wrote this and they don't seem to fit together. It fits together. We need to figure out how. We need to dig deeper sometimes. That's all. The title of my message is an exciting one. A crown or a coffin? (laughs) Which do you want? A crown or a coffin? And we're going to be looking in James. Last week we looked primarily at trials that were tests ordained by God to bring about that perseverance in us that brings us to a maturity in Christ. Today we're looking at what James has to say about not giving in to the trials that are temptations that come from the enemy. Now this is simplifying a little bit. I understand that. But for me it helps this way. If I have trials, the big category, and then I've got tests and I've got temptations. You can call them and label them different things. I don't, I don't care how you do it. But understand, to me, when I look at these trials that are tests, they're external things. They're circumstances. They're outward things. When I look at trials that are temptations, they're inward. Satan is trying to do something. And he's trying to do it primarily right here between my ears with lies and deception. And we, we have been provided victory over both trials that are tests and those that are temptations through Christ. James links them. And it's interesting why he links them. Because if we're not alert... Maybe we haven't prayed for wisdom. If we're not alert and really looking at what's happening and seeking the Lord, a trial that is a test to build us in faith can become a temptation inwardly. Because the devil, Satan, and our flesh, that old nature, that old man, are continually looking for a way out that doesn't fit with God's will. So James attaches the two. Because there's a danger, as I said last week. We can go into a test and and God is testing us. He's growing us. He's maturing us. He's testing our faith. And I mean when he's testing our faith, not that we really believe or not. He's testing our faith to see if we're going to trust him in that area. We're going to trust him. And we don't want it to turn into a temptation and give the enemy room. In James 1-2, we remember from last week, I hope, consider it all joy, my brothers. When you experience all kinds of various trials, consider it all joy. He will. And in James 1.12, it says this, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the man who perceives, perseveres excuse me, under trial. There is a crown of life for those who persevere. Now that perseverance doesn't mean getting saved. That person who is not saved, there is no crown of life available to him unless he gets saved. So we're persevering. It's, it's that Christian of perseveres. And the crown of life, and I may be taking a little liberty, but I like to look at it two ways. One, 
John 10.10, there is an abundant life here on this earth for us. I think in context, it probably is making reference to eternal life more clearly. But I want them both. We want, a, we want an abundant life that's available to Christ. If we persevere here on earth, if we, we ask God for wisdom, we persevere through those, those tests, we're going to walk in the abundant life. That's what the journey to freedom is all about. Journey to freedom, getting, getting through, walking through, trusting. And not only do we have the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, we've got brothers and sisters in Christ to help us through those processes. So we want to persevere. And of course, in Revelation, it does make clear that God says, be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. Obviously, that's eternal life. But I just want to encourage us, and this is what Journey to Freedom is about, there is an abundant life available to us here on earth, even in the midst of trials, the ones that are tests and also temptations. So we want to look at that abundant life. You know, and the Bible is filled with many, many examples where there were tests, and even these people that we look at as fathers of the faith, so to speak, allowed it to become temptation. You know, when Abraham was called to go and he was obedient and went by faith, that's awesome. And he gets to this land that God has promised him, and there's a famine. If you know the story, what did he do? He took things in his own hand and decided to go to Egypt. Bad choice. Would have God been faithful and provided for him in the land he promised? I think so. God had to dis discipline him, chastened him pretty good, and got him back to where he needed to be. We can look at other examples in the Bible that, that there's... Well, just look at God's people Israel. There's, there's the classic. All these testings. He set them free. He did all these miracles. They split the Red Sea. They walked through on dry land. He killed all of the, the Egyptians. And they start murmuring and complaining the first chance they get. The enemy lying and deceiving. What was have been a test of the people to build perseverance became a temptation because they succumbed and started complaining, whining, murmuring. We can go through many, many stories in the Bible like that. You know, God simply does not want us to yield to temptation. But we are going to be exposed to it. Adam and Eve were exposed to it, and everybody since has been exposed to it. And you can count on it. So the temptation is not the sin. The Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted just as we all were, so we have someone who relates to us, and he's a sinless man. So we need to understand that we're all going to face temptation. God doesn't want us to yield to it, but he's not going to prevent us from experiencing temptation. He's not going to shelter us like that. But the Bible is clear in 2 Peter 3.9. It says that he's not wishing that anyone should perish. He doesn't allow that temptation to be out there. It doesn't, doesn't not protect us from it because he wants to see some people perish and get what they deserved. A good human mindset. It says he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wishes they all would come to repentance and accept Christ as their Savior. And you can see how much, as we go through this, how important it is that we pray and ask God for wisdom when we're going through these trials, testings, temptations. Wisdom. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the mind of Christ. We need to access it. Today's scriptures we're going to look at are primarily James 1, 13-18, and I'm going to read them. It says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. 
For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when his lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brothers, my beloved brothers. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Boy, there are scriptures full of stuff. You know, I was thinking of this this morning. Wouldn't it be nice if you were, when you and I were tempted, this big barrier would just pop up from somewhere to prevent free. I mean, this wall so high, I can't climb over it, and so far going in both directions, I can't get around it, and temptation's on one side and I'm on the other. Wouldn't that be sweet? Well, it doesn't work quite like that, but God has given us barriers that will help us not yield to temptation. And James lays out three of them for us in this section of Scripture that I just read. And we're going to look at those three barriers that when we yield to those barriers, instead of put our head down and run right through them, we can resist temptation quite easily, to tell you the truth. So the first thing, the first barrier is this. Consider God's judgment. Now this is kind of a negative motivator, if you would. James is saying, look at the end before you make the mistake in the beginning. He says, death. Out there on the end of this trip, when we give birth to sin, is death. Do you really want to go there? Do you really want to go down that road? He says, don't blame God for temptation. It doesn't come from Him. He is a holy God. It's not even in Him to possibly do it. And He loves you and I too much that He would never do that. So God's not tempting us. He will test us, but He will not tempt us to sin, ever. So who's the problem? Us. It's us. It's our flesh. And it is Satan and all of his dominions that are going to cause us to not be able to resist temptation. It's Satan and our flesh who want to turn opportunities of testing to mature into temptation that brings death instead of growth and maturity. So we need to understand both things. The devil is active. And he is always attacking God's children. Always. But we also need to understand that this flesh thing that we carry around, that old man, so to speak, is often anxious to cooperate with the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. When we sin, and sometimes we use, use words that express what I want to say here. Sometimes we, we sin and we think it's just a spontaneous act. It's just a boom. All of a sudden they sin. James is saying, nah, that is not the way it works. It's not an instantaneous, spontaneous act. There's a process that we go through before we sin. 
And that process may go quickly at times, or may be drawn out at times, but nonetheless there's a process. And he lays out this process for us. And the process is kind of in four stages, and the first one is the desire stage in verse 14. Verse 14, it says, Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Desire. You know, again, this is how Satan perverts everything. God has given us natural desires. You know, I'm a little hungry already. Desire. We get thirsty. A desire. There's things about comfortable. Rest. Oh, I could use a nap. A desire. Sex. A desire. Guess where that came from? God. But the enemy will pervert any and all of those desires and try to turn them into ungodly desires that ultimately end in sin. And you can put any desire in there you want. It's when we give in to the desire in a way that's outside the will of God that we're in trouble. When that desire comes and we give in to it, in an ungodly way, it becomes and gives birth to sin. The secret to this is constant control. As I said, when I first sent out that email about the book of James, I said it's about maturity. Maturity, one of the, one of the characteristics of maturity is self-control. Who's supposed to control who here? Do I control my desires or do my desires control me? The immature are controlled by their desires. I mean, think of our children when they're little kids. Hopefully they grow out of it. I want it, I want it, I want it. Go shopping sometime and watch that poor mother with three little kids. Man, those three little kids are being controlled by one thing and one thing only. Desires for whatever they see. Who's in control? Well, hopefully the parent. But ultimately, we're supposed to grow beyond that stage. And we control our desires, and they don't control us. For that first stage of temptation is desire. The second stage is deception. So we're going from the emotions now to the mind. We're deceived. I would say no temptation, but I'll go ahead and say most temptations don't come looking like temptation. They come dressed up looking like something else. James, in those verses I just read, uses two really interesting phrases that we would miss in the English almost completely. He says, they are carried away and enticed by his own lust. He's making a a picture for the readers of that day to hunting and fishing. That ought to intrigue a few of us. Hunting and fishing. Setting a trap and baiting the hook is what he's talking about. You know, I don't do, I never did do much trapping. Did a little. But I know you kind of wanted to put good bait on the trap and you wanted to, to hide the trap because, you know, most animals aren't going to knowingly, willingly step in the trap that they see sitting there and get, get hooked. And most of the time when we fish, and I have had exceptions to this too, most of the time when we fish, you don't just throw an empty hook in the water. You put some bait on it. And the bait entices the fish to bite the hook. This is how sin works. This is how temptation works. And he is saying this. This is what James is saying. You know what? Carried away. The idea of baiting a trap. The, the uh, enticed. In the original Greek means to bait the hook. 
He's saying temptation doesn't look like temptation. Our lusts come involved, and all of a sudden, our eyes aren't on the temptation. We're on the bait. And if we can avoid the bait, we can avoid the sin. Let me give you an example. Most of us know the story of David and Bathsheba. David's king. Bathsheba's beautiful. And he sees her bathing on the rooftop. Look what happened. Now, if David could have stepped back and looked at what was all going to take place and said, wow, I'm going to commit adultery. I'm going to murder a guy. I'm going to have a baby that's going to die. And things are going to be bad for my family in a few areas because of this. Do you think he'd have grabbed the bait? No. His eyes got on the bait and nothing else. And this happens over and over and over in all of our lives. The idea for us is to discover what's hiding the hook. What's the bait and get our eyes off of the bait? Temptation always carries with it some kind of bait that's going to appeal to our natural desires. I mean, how many of you commit sin in areas you just can't stand in the natural? (laughs) But there's an enemy out there, and he's good. He tempts us in the areas that our natural desires are in danger of being seduced. And lust takes over. The bait doesn't just attract us. It hides the fact that if we yield to it, eventually there's going to be sorrow and punishment and unchecked death. The bait is the exciting thing. How many of you remember the story of Abraham and Lot? Too much livestock, they decide to split. Lot, what land do you want? I want that over there by Sodom. If you know the story of Sodom, it's not a pretty story. But he didn't see all of the evil in Sodom. He didn't see that eventually his wife was going to be turned into a pillar of stone. He didn't see what was going to take place. All he had was his eyes on the lush pastures of that Jordan Valley. The bait. When you're tempted, there's bait. Recognize it as bait. The bait's the exciting thing, and it prevents us from seeing the consequences of the sin. We're so focused on the bait. There's always consequences to sin. Always. You know, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, how did he resist it? The Word of God. You know how we need to resist? The Word of God. There's a catch there, however. And pardon the sarcasm. You've got to know the Word of God to use the Word of God. You've got to read the Word of God to know the Word of God. We need to be in the Word. If you look through what we're talking about today, the Word of God is critical to our freedom. When you heard Bob and the ones on the tape talking about a journey to freedom, it's the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, quickening the Word of God in our lives. When you know the Word of God, you can detect the bait and you can deal with it correctly. That's what it means. I don't know how you define this. When you hear these words, walk by faith, not by sight. What does that mean to you? I think it means when we walk by faith, not by sight, it means we can detect and deal with the bait. We're being led by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to us by the Word of God. 
We need to know the Word of God. And after the deception comes disobedience, and now we move from emotions, desire, we move from the mind, deception, to the will. And sin always goes through this process, no matter how quickly it happens. So there's opportunities for us to stop it. And James goes into a a picture of a human birth to describe this thing. And when you read the scripture, it talks about the fact that he says in verse 15. No, let's go back. Yeah, verse 15. When lust is conceived, desire conceives. When it's conceived, it gives birth to one ugly child, sin. And when it matures, it becomes even more grotesque, and it's called death. And the unnamed father in this whole process is Satan. And James is saying, this is what takes place. He says, you can all relate to human birth, the giving life. Well, Satan distorted this thing, and it brings death. This baby that's born, when we take the bait, is sin. And when we sin, believe it or not, and whether you know it or not, we're hooked. We've taken the bait and we're hooked. And it's going to give birth to sin. And wait till it matures. If we allow that baby to mature, we've got a problem. Death is the final outcome. This is where living as a Christian... Let me put it this way. Christian living is an act of the will. Submitted to the Holy Spirit, granted. But it's an act of the will. It's not about acting on your feelings. It's an act of the will. We cannot be controlled by our emotions. We'll get in trouble. Almost always. It's an act of the will. As I said earlier, this is what maturity is. It's operating on the basis of our will, immaturity, allows our feelings to make decisions. Watch and see what happens. Hopefully, not in our own life, but we can see it in the lives of other people, including Christians. That's why it's really important that we rely on other people, other Christians too, especially baby Christians. Who's mentoring you? Who's, who are you mentoring if you're more mature? And no matter where, where you are in the maturity level, we need somebody there helping to keep an eye on things so that we're, we're walking and maturing rightly and not acting on our feelings. And the more that we exercise our will, the more we say no to temptation, the more God will take control of our life. In Philippians 2.13, it says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. For his good pleasure. To will and to work. we got to get in touch with God. We need to know his word. And he will give us the will to do the work. If we're a Christian, it's all there for us. And the last phase is death. Disobedience gives birth to death, not to life. Sometimes it takes years for sin to mature. Sometimes we get our eyes on other things and 
And we think, boy, they've gotten away with that, and they've gotten away with it, maybe I can't. Or maybe you have gotten away with it. And you think you've gotten hit, get hidden behind this dark curtain or maybe in a dark room somewhere, and you think you're going to get away with it. It's maturing. The Bible tells you your sin will find you out. Basically, that's saying your sin will mature and it will reveal itself and it will be ugly. Ugly. You know, if you want to do a, a little study on your own of this, go back to Genesis and look at Adam and Eve in the garden. And look how, how, how cunning Satan was when he came to Eve. And look at the process they went through. And Jesus, God had warned them. God had said, if you disobey, you will surely die. And when they ate of that fruit, they spiritually died immediately, and eventually physical death came on them. And physical death, should, unless the Lord comes back first, physical death is going to come on all men. And if repentance and accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior doesn't happen in your life, spiritual death also. And you'll be eternally separated from God. Eternally. We need to get our eyes off the bait. So that's the first barrier. Considering God's judgment, now it gets a little bit more optimistic. Good things. The second one is simply this. Consider God's goodness. He is good. One of Satan's tricks, one of the enemy's tricks, is to try and convince you or me that God's holding out on us somehow. Just like Eve. Oh, did God really say that? If he, he just doesn't want you to know what he knows. If he really loved you, he'd let you eat that fruit too. We need to understand that that's a lie from the pit of hell. God is good and he loves you. But if Satan can get you to doubt God's goodness, you will be more easily attracted to his bait. That's why it's so important. It sounds just like some catchy little phrase. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. It's true. And it's powerful. Because if we, we, if we forget that, we're opening ourselves up to the bait. And James goes through and points out four things about God's goodness. And I'm going to point them out very quickly. God only gives good gifts. Only gives good gifts. That's nice. Anybody ever received a really rotten gift? God doesn't give rotten gifts. He only gives good gifts. Every good gift comes from Him. Even if we don't see the goodness right away, it's always good from God. And then there's a little play on words that says, and the way, the way that God gives is also good. It says every good and perfect gift. That and perfect gift means really and every act of giving. It's given perfectly. What's that look like? Well, I've received gifts from people sometimes and I don't think they really like me very much. But they felt obligated to give me a gift. I've given gifts to people like that and don't be pious, so have you. Oh, we got invited to that wedding? We got to spend money for that gift? And we give them the gift, they go, oh, thanks, hey, no problem, great, we love you, it's baloney. You, you didn't want to give them the gift. God's never like that. He gives nothing but good gifts, and the way he gives, it's perfect. That's a good God. And then it says, cometh down. Every good gift cometh down. Now, don't let me fool you for an instant. I am not a Greek student, and I don't even know English grammar. And There's a few people who could attest to that. 
<laughs> I'm a difficult student to train. But I do know how to look some things up. And in the Greek, it's called a perfect participle. Does anybody care? I don't really... <laughs> yeah, she would. But what it means is a perfect participle. When it says cometh down, it means it comes down and it keeps on coming and coming and coming and coming and coming and coming. Go as far as you want. It means he's giving good gifts constantly. Even when we don't recognize him as good gifts, he's giving them constantly. And he continues to give them perfectly. I mean, this is the kind of God we serve. This is the kind of God we have our eyes on. He's this good to us. And he never, ever changes. That's the fourth thing he says. God doesn't change. And he uses a picture of the sun. You know, the sun moves throughout the sky. He says, God doesn't move around like that. Shadows change. If I stand here and the sun's there, the shadow moves. God doesn't move. He says he's unchanging. He's good all the time. Perfect gifts all the time. That is a barrier. If we can just remind ourselves of that when we're tempted, of all the good things God's given us and does for us, it will stop us. It'll put the brakes on, and we hopefully won't run through that barrier. Which simply means we should never question his love. We should never question his goodness. No matter how difficult the trial or the test or even the temptation is. So it's really like in that first judgment, he's looking ahead. That first barrier, he said, look ahead to the judgment that's coming. And the second one here, he says, look around you at all the goodness of God. And now he really comes back and nails us with a powerful one. Look inside. He says, you have been born again. James talks about being brought forth, the new birth. A divine new birth of God's own will. I'm going to read three scriptures to you quickly. Listen to the words. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Not of the blood, not of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. He chose. He, John 3, 6 and 7. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again by the Spirit of God. In 1 Peter 1, 23. For you are born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring Word of God. We are born again by the Spirit of God, by the power of the Word of God. The Word is pretty important. The power of the Word of God. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to bring about the miracle of new birth. You can't be born again until you first hear. And then the Holy Spirit quickens what you hear. The power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the Word of God is a living, powerful thing. It's living and powerful and it can bring about a new birth. And James is saying this ought to be something that would act as a barrier in our life when temptation faces us. I've been born again by the Spirit of God. And he goes on and says we are first fruits among his creatures. Now, if you were talking to a Jewish audience, they would understand that first fruits. The first fruits were taken and given to God. The special first fruit. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. When we're born again, we are recipients of the divine nature of God, the Holy Spirit. 
He lives in us. Can you see as James is building this whole series of, of truths, he's getting to this point where it's obvious, it should be obvious, with all of these barriers to keep us from entering into temptation and taking the bait, good work should flow out of us like crazy because of the gratitude and love that we have for the one who's given us a new birth in Christ. If we let the old nature win, sometimes it's called the flesh, that Adam in us, when we let that take over, we lose. We lose every time. If we yield to that new nature, we win. Because Jesus wins always. Now, don't judge the theology of this statement too harshly, but a Sunday school student put it this way. Two men live in my heart, the old Adam and Jesus. When temptation knocks at the door, somebody has to answer. If I let Adam answer, I sin. So I send Jesus to answer, and he always wins. Pretty simple. Who are we going to respond to? Who's going to win? This new nature, this new, ch- this, new, this new babe in Christ that I am needs to be nurtured and fed. Guess what it needs to be nurtured and fed by? You can answer if you'd like. Word of God. The Word of God. Born again by the Word of God. We're fed by the Word of God. We're strengthened by the Word of God. Maybe we ought to know the Word of God. And most all of us have at least one of these. And if you don't have one, I'd be glad to get you one. The Word of God gives us a spiritual birth and it also gives us spiritual strength. The crown of life or a coffin. Death. If we are a Christian and we're caught somewhere in that cycle, we need to Stop the cycle. Stop the process. And it's really simple because Jesus did all the work on the cross. We need to confess it in sin and get back in right relation with Jesus. So it's not hopeless because we're sinners. We're going to sin. We all sin. We are going to sin. But we need to stop this process and we've got the ability. And if you're an unbeliever and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, is the ultimate maturity death inevitable? No. As long as you change your, change your attitude and receive the truth. The wages of sin is death. But when we accept Jesus Christ, there is life. So James is James' message here isn't bad news. It's a warning with good news. That no matter where we're at as a Christian and we're living in sin and we're gone that process and it's not a pretty sight, confess it and get back on the right track. Get in the Word. Let yourself be spiritually strengthened and built up. And if you're an unbeliever and you are trapped in that cycle of sin and sin is maturing to death in your life, it's time to repent and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and experience the new birth. Eternal life in Jesus Christ is available to all. Let's close in prayer. Praise you, Lord. Lord, I thank you and praise you.
that we have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us. And Lord, I ask that even as we have the word, God, give us a hunger for it. God, make those dry seasons in our life. Don't let us, by your grace, don't allow those dry seasons to become extended seasons. Draw us to your word. Give us an appetite for your word. Give us a hunger for your word. That the Holy Spirit would have your word in us to work with. God, that we would be able to walk by faith, not by sight. That we would be able to see past the bait of temptation. Lord, that we would be able to see the reality. That we would be ready to quickly respond decisively to sin and say no. That we would become that mature Christian being led by will, not feelings. And Lord, I pray you would take what has been shared today and filter it. If there's anything that's of me, Lord, pray that it would not cause any damage to anybody. But Lord, what is of you, bring it to life in each one of us and bring about the change that you desire. And we ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.